previously on Transformers Chronicles. We're going to get our Garrison combiners here over the next few issues yep. uh, in Marvel Land, so stay tuned for that. Hey guys, are you ready to record tonight's episode? I think so, Delvin. It's just that... It's just that what? It's just that after I read that issue and got to the part about Silverbolt realizing that he is afraid of heights... Uh-oh. It's really made me think, uh, and I wondered, what is it that I feared most of all? And I realized that I, I'm most afraid of podcasting. What? Uh-oh. It's my worst fear. Oh, no. So when I read this issue, I got to the part with Silver Bolt and thought about what my worst fear is. And I realized that my worst fear is that I'm afraid of Pat being afraid of podcasting. And now that's come true. No! No! Oh, this is really bad. I gotta remember what my father told me on my wedding day. If you ever get sent back in time, don't step on anything. Because even the tiniest change can alter the future in ways you can't imagine. That doesn't seem relevant. Don't backsass me, boy! And also, if you're ever on a podcast and your co-hosts are overcome by fear-based existential dread, give that Michael Bailey a call. He'll set you right. Right. To the Bailey phone. Elsewhere, deep within the fortress of Baileytube. It's the Bailey phone. A podcast is in need. Ahoy, ahoy, Michael Bailey. This better not be you again, Shag. How can I help you? What's that? Your podcast is overcome by dread. You don't know whether you can go. And you're sure that this isn't Shag? I'll be right there. Michael Bailey, away! Oh, gloom and despair. Despair and gloom! You're here. Pat and Delvin are getting worse by the second. All right, leave everything to me. Look, guys, I know that comic book stories can sometimes make you question your fears, but that's the beginning point, not the end. You got to face those fears and work through them. That does make a lot of sense. You know, I'll buy that. My fear didn't really make that much sense anyway. What was the issue that was causing the um, uh, issue? It, it was Marvel Transformers issue 21. Transformers 21? Transformers 21? Oh no, not that issue! Not that issue! Oh, like I have to convince you to stick around after that? Michael Bailey is our guest host tonight on Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years. Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years. Hello and welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. I'm Delvin, aka The Dark Web. And in case you're new to the show, welcome. And let me tell you what this thing is all about. We're going for a wild, crazy ride, chronicling an awesome, wacky, and sometimes corny world of Marvel Comics, The Transformers. But I won't be going at it alone. Let's meet my chronicling companion. First up, a man who 
despite his lifelong love of comics, has never encountered Marvel's Transformers until now. And he wants to see what all the fuss is about with these robots in disguise. He is the founder of the Longbox Crusade. He is Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Christatos. Welcome to the show, Pat. Hello, hello, Delvin. Hello. Hey there. Hi. Good to be here. Good to have you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you like to add talking about what you've done since last episode? Well, what I've done since last episode? No. Boy. Um, not really. I, I, I guess what I've done is I read Transformers 1 through 20 and thought I knew a lot of Transformers. Mm-hmm. Then I get to this episode, mm-hmm. this issue, mm-hmm. and... Now there's more Transformer names that I need to know and who they look like. And I'm so confused again. So it's, hey, we're starting all over. Don't worry. Don't worry. We, we have flashcards for you. Oh, but there's yeah, going to be a pop quiz at the end of the show. So you better be ready. Uh-oh. <laughs> and while Pat is uh, getting another existential fear, we will move on to our Transformers expert, the lesser half of Married with Comics, the provider of knowledge, Jonathan Schaefer Haynes. And oh, I almost forgot. Hi, Maggie. Now, John, talk to me. How has your life transformed since we talked last? Hello, Delvin. Hi, John. Uh, my life has transformed, um, you know, in our attempt to get through the utter misery and despair that is the current, you know, everything. My wife and I have decided to throw money at it, and we're getting a new car, which we're going to be doing in a couple of days. But it's been a really fascinating experience, actually, you know, online paperwork and credit checks and negotiations and all of those things happening. And so that'll be an experience. I don't believe that it does transform into a robot, but it does kind of look like skids. So I might be a little bit worried as to how much my wife likes it. Well, in that case, uh, then you should have just driven by some countryside and looked for an abandoned vehicle (laughs) shot by a proton missile. (laughs) We found a bunch of them. The problem was, is the radio wasn't working in any of them. So we oh, had to. Yep, that means they're dead. Yeah. Mm. Yep. How about you, man? Has your life transformed in any way since last time? I sold a house. I did that. Oh, wow. Well, there's things being bought, things being sold. Right. Like, and it was a relatively easy process. And I, I did all of that remote because um, I had a house back when I was a lieutenant all those years ago in Colorado Springs. And I held on to it all this time. And I just kind of dabbled and was like, I wonder if I tried to sell it now, would that be a good idea? And lots of people are moving from California uh, to Colorado for whatever reasons. And the guy was like, yeah, Colorado Springs is a popular market. The house would sell right away. And I'm like, I think he's just saying that. But he wasn't just saying that. It sold (laughs) pretty dang quickly. So for you. pretty nice happy. Heck yeah. Um, I presently have more money than I've ever had before. So uh, I'm going to have to go and spend it real quick before I like start buying a lot of comic books. <laughs> oh, man. You, you can't give a junkie money. You, you know what happens anyway. Uh, Belvin, you could uh, at patreon.com longbox crusade. But I'm already like on the show. Do I have to be... Now, remember too, I'm not Jake. You know what? The money I got, I might consider giving to Jason so he could bribe us into finally becoming a Crusaders Club member. Uh, Also, I'm lying. I would not do that. I'm on this show and I am a Crusaders Club member. That's true. That is true. And you definitely are part of the network. So I could join. 
I'm not giving the network that much money. Though. All right. I tried, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we also have a guest tonight. Someone wanted to join and talk to us, and we're happy about that. He's been waiting on this episode a while, so I hear you probably know him from his podcasting network, The Fortress of Bailey Tude. We are grateful for him tonight for his time. Welcome to the show, Michael Bailey. How are you? Hey, I am fantastic. Thank you all for having me tonight, uh, especially on this for me, historic issue of the Transformers. We're, we're about to get to that. And I wouldn't be a good host if I didn't transition. So question one, because we have questions for all of our newcomers. This wasn't just a setup for you, I promise, but it feels like it, but it's a good setup. What was your introduction to the Transformers? I was eight years old in 1984. And if you're going to be eight years old in any year, 1984 is probably one of the best years to be eight years old. Uh, mm -hmm. I vividly remember, you know, G.I. Joe had already made the splash uh, with the two miniseries. And then this Transformers thing popped up and suddenly it was just part of the zeitgeist. So I was watching the show every day, uh, occasionally reading the comic. I think everybody was issued the first issue uh, in my neighborhood. I don't know how that happened, but my best friend in the area I lived in was was really into the Transformers, so I borrowed his books and read them, and we played with his figures because uh, those things were expensive, as you they guys were. have probably talked about. Uh, but mm -hmm. they were also everywhere. I, I lived in this little small town called Mountaintop, Pennsylvania, and there was a pharmacy, the Triangle Pharmacy, that had like a full toy section in the basement. And as you went downstairs, the wall going downstairs was lined with like Optimus Prime and the planes and the, the car. It was just like really weird to see Transformers where you buy drugs. But now that you see how much they cost, it all kind of makes sense. I was one of those kids. I was perfectly in sync with Generation One. Uh, I did not get to see the movie in the theaters, which was uh, heartbreaking for me at the time. And uh, I, I did not follow it much after that. Uh, but every once in a while, I'll like uh, dig out some of the old Marvel books to read. Uh, I've never gone deep. Like I've never gone to Marvel UK's Transformers, which is like a whole nother planet, uh, essentially. Uh, and if you want to sink your money into something, just sink your money into a collection of Marvel UK issues because they're really super expensive right now. It's part of my childhood that I've kind of kept with me. Uh, not in terms of wanting to rebuy the toys or anything, but just I still have a real affection for Transformers. Uh, and even after seeing the first Michael Bay film, I still have affection for Transformers. We don't we don't like to talk or, about that. Yeah, I did, yeah that, that's why I was making the cheap joke and moving right along. I was told that you had a comic book choice to make when you picked up your first issue. So it wasn't my first issue of Transformers. That would have been number one. Uh, and I also... For Christmas of 85, got a box of comics because the Sears Wish Book used to offer like a box of Marvel books. That was And so it would be great. like, it was two months of Marvel from a given year. And so issues seven and eight were in there. Uh, but when it was, it had to be like late July, early August, 86, we're preparing to move. I'm at a farmer's market and I they had a comic rack because everybody had a comic rack back in, in 86, apparently. And I pick up a book and I'm leafing through it and I'm like, oh man, they're just retelling the origin of Superman. Like I've, <laughs> I've read that before. 
<laughs> oh, man. I, you know what? This is the first appearance of the aerial bots in the comics. I need to get Transformers number 21. So I put Man of Steel number one back on the rack. Wow. <laughs> um, and then like a year later, I would finally get into Superman. But I had it in my hand. I mean, it's just, I, I feel like that guy on Titanic. I had it in my hand, my effing hand. And I just put it back and got this issue, which I, I did mean, enjoy. Ironically, this issue was edited by Mike Carlin. Right. Uh, because this was after he pissed Jim Shooter off uh, and said he wasn't going to edit uh, a book anymore because he was tired of getting overruled. And Jim Shooter just kept handing him things like Transformers and Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get any further down this hole, I should ask you, do you have a favorite Transformer? Shockwave. I love Shockwave. Shockwave was my it was one of the few Transformers I owned as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I got it for my 12th birthday because for some reason they re-released Shockwave in 88. I have no idea why. Uh, and I just, I thought he was a cooler gun than Megatron. I thought he formed, he was a great robot. And, you know, he was a complete waste on the animated series, but he was a boss in the comic books. So mm -hmm. he just, you know, you would think like, well, would it be Megatron? Would it be Optimus Prime? Would it be Bumblebee? No, I... As ever, I tend to prefer the bad guys because I think I'm secretly fascistic, so I'm attracted to that. But no, definitely Marine Man all of a sudden. Definitely Shockwave. Definitely Shockwave. Transformed <laughs> into a gun. And stayed look, on Cybertron for four million years. Well, I mean, Shockwave was on the cover of probably the best Transformers uh, cover that we've done to date. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If not the entire series, so... I also am with you in that shockwave is pretty freaking cool. I can't argue with you, so no. I wouldn't cast aspersions on you for what you just said. Shockwave is Maggie's favorite Decepticon, and it's not even close. Oh, nice. He's just one of those characters. It taught me early on that things are different in the comics. Uh, I would learn that years later with G.I. Joe, which was really different <laughs> than the TV show because, you know, Snake Eyes could do stuff in the comics because... Yep. You know, it didn't matter that he was silent, but, uh, you know, I just I just feel bad because I, I rewatched years ago. I bought all of the um, Kid Rhino box sets of the animated series, uh, which had really great uh, special features back when special features meant something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember watching the first episode and seeing like Shockwave was just like sitting there for four million years. Like, I hope he had a magazine or something. The purpose of this podcast will be tackling all of Marvel Transformers comics in order, starting with issue one and working all our way to the series end at issue 80. We will answer any questions that are brought up to the best of our ability and see how these books that we loved as a kid hold up to our cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. So gentlemen, it is time to meet the aerial bots right after this promo. The Transformers will return after these messages. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I like Superman. Like, a lot. Like, he's my favorite character. I like him so much that I have podcasted about the Man of Steel more than any other character. Back in 2017, I started a show called it all comes back to Superman to serve as the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. Well, the monthly thing hasn't worked out, but I'm hoping to change that in 2020. 
This year, there will be at least one episode a month of the show, and most of those will be part of a series I'm calling Superman is for Everybody. Superman is for Everybody springs from my desire to talk to people that have channeled their love and affection for the character into other avenues, like cosplay, or podcasting, or academia. New episodes will drop in the first or second week of the month, with special episodes popping up at random, because that's how I roll, apparently. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey-Tude podcasting network, which can be found at www.fortressofbailey2.com. The show is available through Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and it's even on Spotify. It all comes back to Superman. Because really, it does. Give me a few minutes and I'll make the connection. Why are you walking away? I'm not done talking. We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers issue number 21. And here's John with the cover description. Thanks, Delvin. The corner box contains the usual Optimus Prime pointing at us underneath the Marvel still the 25th anniversary celebration. The Transformers logo as well as the Autobot symbol are in green this month, but above it is uh, the phrase Aerial Bots Over America prominently displayed, which is why this cover is known as the Aerial Bots Over America cover. Uh, the cover itself, in a strange choice, shows the three Decepticons in what would normally be the heroic pose in the bottom, in robot form, firing up into the air at the five aerial bots who are all coming down at them and shooting. Uh, there are explosions on the ground, and there are small humans lo both looking up in awe and occasionally trying to run off to escape the various explosions. In the background, I am happy to say, are some clouds, rather than the blank background that we would have come to expect before this. Um, I kind of really like this one. That It has some quality issues, which I'm sure we'll get to, but it's pretty iconic, and it's always one that I think about when I think about Marvel Transformers comics. Uh, what do you think about this one, Pat? Oh, I think you're right. I like that the background is the white that it shows off the five aerial bots that are coming shooting down. Um, you have that blue cloud that helps out. A um, lot of action going on in this one. You have the explosions, like you said, on the ground, and then the three Decepticons shooting up like that. So uh, it's it's a pretty decent cover. I, I'm kind of curious why they say, though, like you said, the, the iconic aerial bots. Is there, you know, what am I missing about this? Is it that well, iconic I of a Transformers lore? Yeah, I mean, aerial bots are cool. I mean, that's more, <laughs> that's more than enough. If they're cool, and it was their first appearance in the comic books as well. So okay, it would be a selling point at this time that the aerial bots are making their first appearance. Uh, okay, from the toy line, mm -hmm. being in toy line, now moving into the comic form. Okay. That is correct. I think the, the other nice thing is with the colors on the the Autobots and the Decepticons, you, they're just not kind of washed out where some of them would just, you, you know, you kind of get all one color or not, but looks pretty good. I, uh, I'm i wondering who that one aerial bot is shooting at. The yeah. three Decepticons are in the center of the image, but the dude on the right, second over from the, the center, just seems probably. to be shooting at the crowd. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if that aerial bot is nearsighted. Uh, just <laughs> doesn't know what he's shooting at. No, uh, I, I, I literally picked up this issue because it was the first appearance of the aerial bots in the comics is the aerial bots had two things going for them one they were autobots that could fly 
Mm-hmm. And to to my like eight, nine, ten year old brain, that was awesome because finally they had a chance to fight them in the air. Yeah. Uh, and two, they formed Superion. So they were not only cool Autobots, they were Autobots that formed another robot. And I, you know, I, I was just all about like Devastator and uh, Bruticus and Superion. I just, uh, I, it was definitely a, a, the reason I picked this issue. I will say something about that white background. Uh, it, it attracts dirt. because the copy i have which is the original copy one of the things that i didn't get rid of uh is kind of dirty (laughs) because i read the hell out of this book uh this was before i knew what a bag was uh or that you should take good care of your comics so i just read it and read it and read it uh i like the green to the white background too the green of the logo Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that stands out uh, as well. I always have a little issue in the comics of the way the Transformers themselves are drawn, but I got to agree with y'all that this on this particular cover, the jets in their robots forms on the ground actually look like what I think they should look like from the cartoon. So yeah. I like the cover. I, I think it's very dynamic. I'm almost willing to say it's poster worthy, but I'm not quite there yet. Oh, save, save those thoughts. I, I'll give mine very quickly. And actually, my first thought is I'm wondering, is John feeling well tonight? Because there was not one crack on the cover in Nelson Yamtov. And I, for one, am shocked. I am holding off because I, alas, will have plenty to say about the interior colors of this one. But what did you think of this cover there, Dublin? I thought it was interesting what you mentioned about the... Uh, Decepticons being in what's the hero pose. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then when I noticed that the humans were by the Decepticons, it yeah. makes, makes it seem like the Autobots are kind of firing on the humans, too. And it's like, ooh, it's not a, it's not a good look, aerial bots. But uh, if you ignore that one part of it, it is cool because like they all are jets. And it would have been very conflicted to have eight jets yeah. on there. And then it looks like they wanted to say a little bit about the book by, I mean, showing you the outline of a dam, even though it's not like they could show all of it. And they did want to show the area bots in their the jet form, which is cool as well. I, I think this is a good example of when John mentions about having the human there for scale. Mm-hmm. You definitely can see the threat that these three Decepticons bring in a, you know, compared to, to the puny uh, fleshlings. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. You've heard our thoughts, so let's give this thing a rating. If you don't know how we do it on this show, we rate things here on Transformers Chronicles on a scale of 1 to 10, just like the tech specs on the original toys, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest. And I'll give it to our guest first. Mike, please tell me, what would you rate this cover on a scale of 1 to 10? I'm going to give it a seven because I was today years old when I realized they were on the dam. I always thought that was grass. So apparently it's not that clear. Uh, but yeah, I'll give it a solid seven. Wow. If, if only they would have colored it in a different way to make it more obvious. that it was There's clear. my John. There he is. Wow. <laughs> John, go ahead. What would you rate it? I was two days ago years old when I figured that out, but I've since come to terms with it. I'm giving this one a nine. I would call this one poster worthy and it's of this era it's my second or third favorite of the covers i like that there are clouds in the background a number of the other ones that i rated lower could have been saved with that very thing so a nine it is how about you pat 
Well, I could tell you guys this. I did not get duped by that cover. I knew it was the dam. Good job. So I, pre- I feel pretty proud of myself right now. Damn right. Damn right. <laughs> but I'm going to give it, I'm with Mike. It's a seven for me. There's something that it, it needs a little bit more. And I, I just can't put my fingers on it. And you don't have to because seven's perfectly fine. I'm going to bump it up one. I'll give it an eight. Um, I do think it's a good cover. I do think if I knew anything about the area bots, I would pick it up because it looks fun. And I would want to know what hijinks they got into, which is probably what we should talk about now. Let's let Pat talk about the credits for the issue. All right. Well, Delvin, I am glad you asked. We're looking at Transformers number 21. Its on-sale date was July 15th, 1986, but its cover date was October 1986. Story was by Bob Budiansky. Pencils by Don Perlin. Inks by Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. Colors go to Neil Yamtov. Letters, Janice Chang. And editor is Michael Carlin. This is reprinted in Transformers Classic Volume 2 by IDW. Uh, And thank you to Mike's Amazing World and tfwiki.net for that information. Back to you, Delvin. Thanks, Pat. Let's get right to the synopsis. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the The title of this issue was Aerial Bots Over America. Okay, pretty dense issue, so I'm going to take the approach of what happened to, in the interest of having me talk less and smarter people than me talk more. What happened to the Vasquez family? Well, Ricky got brainwashed with a cerebral shell injected into him by the Insecticon bombshell, but ultimately wound up blowing Megatron's mind using Megatron to blow up the drill that was going to open up hydraulic power that would have fueled the Decepticon's Cybertronian efforts for a long time. Carmen and Maria Vasquez got a big scare in all this, but Daddy came home. What happened to the Decepticons? Well, they had a good plan. They used the newly arrived via Space Bridge Insecticons to ultimately infiltrate a dam and use its hydraulic power for nefarious deeds. Heck, they even had three Seeker Jets, Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust to guard the drill used to access this power. Fight like heck against the area bots? They came up short, but you know, they get an A for effort. What happened to the Autobots? Well, which ones? After hearing news from Donnie Finkelberg, the ARC Autobots, led by Optimus Prime, dispatched the Aerial Bots to stop the Decepticon plots as they are the ones who could get to Nevada the fastest. The Aerial Bots, either separately or in their combined form of Superion, using tech that Bumblebee stole a few issues back, remember? Acquit themselves, well, mostly, in battle and eventually helped to save the day. But the Autobots who came over on the Space Bridge, they were all taken care of by the rapid anti-robot assault team led by the one and only Circuit Breaker. By taken care of, I mean all of their heads were mounted as trophies. All right, let's talk about the book. On Transformers Chronicles, we take turns bringing up everything about the comic book. Uh, we talk about goods and bads, uh, 
some discussion in between there, and everybody joins in on the fun. Mike, you're first, man. The the thing that made me smile about this book is it feels like a Marvel book from the mid eighties. Uh, if you if you've read a lot of them, they all have this very cramped art style and just the way they tried to reflect like real life. Uh, it just feels very on point for all that. So I liked that. Uh, I am confused because it looks like on page three, Megatron in that final panel is leaning on something, but there's nothing to lean on uh, unless that wall in the background is closer than, uh, than I think it is. And uh, yeah, they're making that dude lick their boots. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, the Insecticons suck. This dude walks past the security guard with a gun with in his hand. Gun. <laughs> and the guard doesn't say anything besides trying to say hi to him. And he doesn't even give him time of day on that either. No, th- this is the Hoover Dam. So, you know, I, you know, it's, it's a pretty well-known fixture in America. Like, did the guard just not notice the guard did not care? Just does he often carry weapons into it? Cause the people inside seem kind of scared that he's got a gun. Uh, of course he's <laughs> shooting at them. Uh, you know, Frank, he's always walking around with a fusion cannon. <laughs> Why are all the Transformers jerks in this issue? <laughs> like, seriously, oh. Ratchet wants to kill this guy. Now, I realize he was the quote-unquote bad guy a couple issues back, but he's he's a nerd. I mean, like, what is he really going to do? And, and and Ratchet wants to use the acetylene torch he's using to on his face. Yeah, Ratchet goes full heel turn from before, before the last time we saw him. He was like, humans, you guys are great with your parties and your hot dogs. And now he's like, you're dead. But he man, hanging out with Megatron back in like issue seven changed him. He wanted to turn Donnie into a hot dog. That's all it was. I love on the page where the woman's reporting from the Hoover Dam that the artist drew a kid making faces. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming the writer had to put in some dialogue about that. Artwork-wise, the cover looks great. The introduction of the aerial bots is not a kapow moment in the comic itself. No. It's kind of squeezed under the top of that page, and I kind of want more of a like a full-page spread of them landing. But again, this is how this comic was. Uh, exactly. They, they uh, you know, it would be later in like more modern Transformer comics where the kids that grew up on this are drawing them now, and they're giving us the the hero shots. But uh, what I do like though, is that they're not fully baked yet. So they're all worried about, you know, the, are their personality chips going to make them effective in the field? And that turns out to bite everybody in the ass. I definitely thought that was interesting. Why they made that choice. Let, let's go to Pat. Uh, Pat, what do you have that? Um, kind of just like Mike, I found some kind of funny parts in there. I thought Mike had a right on the, the head there with him just walking by with a gun. It's like, really? This guy's just going to walk through there with the gun? And then I like, how cool would it be to just kind of chill with Megatron out and, you know, leaning up against that boulder shoulder there in those two panels? He's just kind of chilling there. He's got that chill vibe going on with him. <laughs> there Maybe like, they're like a Marvel contest, chill yeah. with Megatron, yeah. <laughs> but what I really liked about it was the Insecticons. I wasn't thinking they were going to show up and i was wondering when all of a sudden they show up here because as a kid i had bombshell so i got that as a present and i was oh cool i know that guy that's one that i know you know i i didn't have them my brother had all of them what he did was there was like an unfinished closet in his room 
and like but there's like a high wood beam and so to keep me from playing out with it he would put the toys up there so like i would play, play with it. <laughs> and eventually like i got tall enough so i could take out and sneak and play with all three of them <laughs> i didn't have very many transformers but this issue probably contains more of the ones i had than any I and then my brother, my, I wound up giving him like all or most of my toys. He wound up having all of the aerial bots and he had Bombshell and Shrapnel. And I had Optimus Prime. He had two out of the three Conehead planes and just a little bit of personal trivia for me. Sorry, carry on. Well, don't be sorry. And I want you to carry on by telling us something about the book. I'm going to start off really nice and talk about just the art overall. I mean, just all us, but the penciling is really good. Like uh, uh, Don Perlin has really come around to solidifying his style. He's been around for a while and it was like through 17 and 18. He got good. And I think he really has it here. Uh, the inking with um, Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey, those two were an inking team. So they're a lot better with the line work than a lot of times that you would see if you normally saw two inkers together. And and I um, also just wanted to comment on the lettering. I love in the, the narration boxes, the first letter of, of everyone is stylized in this cool font. Both that and this one has incredibly great noise words. The automatopoeia words are like mm -hmm. Walt Simonson-esque. We've got thwackooms and a shrakoom. Uh, the coloring in here is probably the worst in any of the books that has happened so far. There's some real weirdness going on in the beginning, you, you, which you could argue works well for mood. Fine. The thing that bugs me is when the aerial bots are completely inconsistent with how they're colored, as well as the three conehead jets. And if your purpose is to introduce new characters, as well as to sell toys, which are which look very very similarly and are colored differently on the toys for that reason that would be something you would really want to get right and he doesn't in that and it for some reason bugs me in this one more than it does in others usually i'm able to ignore it and make fun of but i am not a fan in this one are, are you are you able to ignore it i, I am occasionally <laughs> <laughs> hey I, I believe i even complimented the guy in 18 I don't remember that, but yeah, I will take the word for it, and I will pass it to Mike and see if he has anything additional to add. I uh, I feel for the human in this issue. Uh, I, I, you know, Mr. Vasquez. Uh, <laughs> no, he does. He does not look like a Vasquez. I, I just want to point that out. But uh, Ricky, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that's kind of you know it's a trope. I mean, the like the little girl going, you know, you'll be great again, Daddy. You'll be great again. And, you know, he, she's the one that pulls him out of the robotic uh, tinkering that's been done with him. So that was kind of sweet. But he's going to go to prison for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that was the thing about the end. Like when I was reading it, I was like, he's not going home, y'all. <laughs> the cops are going to want to talk to this guy. Yeah, I, I, I'll say this much. I feel bad for the guy because his defense... <laughs> His defense is I was brainwashed by a robot that injected me with a shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come along. Tell it to the judge. <laughs> right? That, like, no one's going to buy that story. Yeah, Frank going to jail. 
but the little girl's so sweet. Oh, I don't care, Daddy. I saw plenty of fireworks today anyway. I mean, we almost died, but imagine, though, he gets out of jail. And, you know, they, they eventually say, okay, you know, everything checks out. We found some evidence that you were taken over by Insecticons, <laughs> which just sounds insane anyways. Imagine him going to work the next day. <laughs> and it's just like, hey, guys. And they all just turn around yeah, and ignore yeah. him for the rest of their lives. <laughs> yeah, so Frank coming to work with any guns lately? Yeah, oh, yeah. On, what yeah, that's what's I in the lunchbox, with, Frank? One oh, day with one gun and everybody <laughs> goes crazy. Hey, killer! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this wasn't a big problem back in the 80s, but uh, nowadays that would sing. Well, nowadays Megatron wouldn't be a gun, so I guess there's that. And he was modeled after a Walter PPK, right, John? Mm-hmm. Yep. Walter yeah. P- yeah, he's... Um, I didn't remember that. Ooh. I think uh, they turned he, him into a tank at one point. Wasn't that the Jeep? Yeah, he's he a tank. He's been a tank and a, or a plane at various stages since yeah. then. Well, he did look realistically enough like an actual gun that he was used in Canada to uh, hold up a subway for a couple of hours, so... Hmm. <laughs> like a, that doesn't uh, really speak uh, well for the yeah. employees at that subway. Actually. Yeah, they figured yeah. it out. Anybody else weirded out by Megatron flying on his own? Oh, not a subway, the restaurant. I mean, a subway. Oh, okay. Under, yeah, I was going to say, are you talking a restaurant? No, no. no, no. <laughs> Stop this train. I've got a gun, he says. And they gave him the benefit of the doubt. Eventually figured it out. No, I don't want it toasted. <laughs> 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 The chicken sub gives me fuel. (laughs) He's the one watching to see if they wipe the knife before they cut the next sandwich. Yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Mike, you you said something. You said something about Megatron flying. Yeah, Megatron's just flying on the uh, when when they're all escaping at the end. It looks. I mean, are the are the Insecticons carrying him, or is he flying on his own? I've got several um, questions about both Megatron's alt mode and several other aspects of the Decepticon plan. So Megatron can't shoot himself now? All he did in issue 13 was gun, shoot, blat, and then he would shoot. Yeah, why didn't he just transform into a robot, push this guy off the dam, and do what he needs to do? That was my... I, I have I have a no prize though. I'm, I'm, I've worked okay. on my no prize for this. My no, my no prize is Megatron was so sure that this plan would work and that being a Decepticon and it was enough to hardwire his body, the Mister Vasquez's body, enough that he wouldn't have to. He wanted the human to do it and not him. Because that way the Decepticons wouldn't look bad. They're still sort of following the plan of uh, Robot Master. I'll buy it because it makes as much sense as any aspect of this plan. Which, can we break this plan down? And this requires a fair amount of logistics over the course of two planets to figure out, you know, an engineer is, that this guy is one, that he can get in there hatch this plan to get Bombshell and the rest of the Insecticons from dis- from Cybertron altered to change into small Earth things so that Bombshell can spy on him, control his brain, get him to drive in with Megatron on a particular day, get in there to um, turn the dam off, which then, reco- which then allows the space bridge to materialize with a big drill, which they're going to do what with again? They're going to drill a hole in and the water's going to flow through a pipe back to Cybertron, which they're going to use to um, 
creating everybody bath. bath. It's uh, yeah. at the car wash on Cybertron. Yes, exactly. The end. If you have access to all of the things that they had and used, I think you could probably do better. I think uh, both uh, Baron Zemo and Lex Luthor used a similar model for their plans in BVS and Civil War, <laughs> uh, respectively. So uh, th- there's a lot of stuff that has to go absolutely right. And I guess it proved that the one thing they weren't counting on was a little girl. So I guess the the way to fix that <laughs> is just murder his entire family before uh, before he, he goes on to his, you know, go to work that day, I guess. Well, either that or you better hope that either his wife or the daughter's name wasn't Martha. I, I, I'm also oh, kind of curious. I, I think them just showing up at the plant and demanding that they turn it off would have had the same effect as taking over an engineer and having him shut it off. That was a bit that seemed a little bit unnecessary. I mean, it's maybe um, he was trying to show off the shockwave now that he was commander again. You know, he what that he that he could do an intricate, detailed plan too. And then consider that they have to do this intricate plan, but they still don't fully understand humans other mm-hmm. than they think that humans are weak mm-hmm. and easily manipulated and easily right. intimidated. So that kind of, you know, feeds into my no prize that I was saying where Megatron was like, we already injected you with our technology. You're going to do exactly what we want you to do. Mm-hmm. Ah. There you go. The question I'm wondering is Jetfire is talking about the ball of bots by which they play uh, basket trek on Cybertron. Yes. You've never been on Cybertron, Jetfire. You were created on Earth back in issue, you know, it was between nine and see, 11. See, I figured he probably got like some memory dump. I think he's just making it up on the spot to mess with Finkelberg because they all like like Mike says they all are jerks to him. It was like get him out of here. Yeah, they maybe he's, he's trying way too hard to fit in with everybody else. He's like, yeah, we all played that game, didn't we, fellas? Yeah, that was a great yeah. game back on Cybertron. I remember sure that. Got fire. Accept me. <laughs> Send him off with the human. We're gonna use our new planes now. <laughs> oh man um you're not they're not going to cause us a, a uh, litigation down the road so. <laughs> all right there's at least one part of the story that we haven't talked about one part that i want to talk about is the rapid anti-robot assault team wrecked Hooray. how long do yeah. they stay round and round in this comic book I, <laughs> finally, <laughs> give it time Uh, and just because this is right around the time they revamped Superman, I think they bought all of the uniforms from the uh, Bronze Age uh, Superman team, uh, foe, the Skulls. Um, <laughs> I remember those guys. Because uh, those outfits look like they bought them surplus. So Circuit Breaker does not look like she wants to invest uh, any more money than she absolutely has to. I know you guys have talked about this. I remember Circuit Breaker being a thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, like even before I was really paying attention to comics, every like all the kids that I knew that read Transformers were all about Circuit Breaker. I don't know if it was a bunch of 10 year old boys, you know, kind of discovering that they had feelings down there or, or something because, you know, she's she's mostly skin and and, and uh, steel. But uh, I, I had completely forgotten because flat out the best piece of art is that last page. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Circuit Breaker is a very effective villain. 
she's taken out presumably all of these Autobots and now has their heads on the on the wall. We've already seen her uh, take out Starscream in one shot and almost jazz. I will not spoil next issue, but next issue she gets quite a trophy as well. Yeah. I don't think we've seen Circuit Breaker in the book, Michael Bailey, since about a year. Yeah. They took their nice sweet time in bringing mm-hmm. her back. She terrorized like the Autobots and Decepticons alike, and she bided mm-hmm. her time, and we hadn't seen her since. So this was a pretty big reveal. And we had those robots that came from Cybertron accidentally by a space bridge about three months ago. They hadn't seen anything from them whatsoever until now, and now they all are trophies. So that's Bob bringing Except together a, a couple of threads. Yeah, I liked that part of it. It was really well put together, and it had me interested. Do you remember them from uh, issues 17 and 18? They were the ones that were stranded on planet Earth. Oh, okay. Bridge, you have, if I'm remembering the heads correctly, Blaster, mm-hmm. Beachcomber, Powerglide, Warpath, Cosmos, Perceptor, and Sea Spray. All uh-huh. seven of the Autobots that are there. And, and it looks like they were sitting there long enough that Rat came along and picked them all off. I do have one more question. Uh, since the book was about aerial bots over America, what did you all think about the appearance of the aerial bots in the book? And I'll start with Pat. Pat, what do you think about the aerial bots in this book, just overall? Overall, I think they were kind of cool. A, a new addition. They'll be able to, um, you know, be like Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. Be when they combine together, they make a hit song. Yeah. I mean, Superion is pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah, he seemed pretty cool. I'm like, okay, we're we're starting to see these bigger robots come together. And like, who's the most powerful one out of these big, either the combiners? Oh, Devastator. (laughs) No, Mike's being a homer. Um, Omega Supreme. Omega Supreme is technically not a combiner uh, in that. But he's a big robot, right? Like, are they about the same size? I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll ever even see them together, but there, I think I mentioned to you either last, uh, episode or the one before that, that like, yeah, you, you're going to see a few of the combiner mm-hmm. robots, the combiner teams and the combiner robots coming up. You'll definitely see okay. some next issue. Uh, and you've now been introduced to your second. Devastator was the first. Okay. Now you've seen Superion who is a result of Bumblebee stealing the tech. So yeah, I like it. That That's a cool concept though, that it's, it's something that the Decepticons developed as uh, you know, an offensive weapon that they can combine five robots into one and that the Autobots had to steal that. Uh, you know, they, mm-hmm. they never really talk about that on the, uh, on the, in the animated series. It's like the aerial bots show up or the Protectobots or Predacons or whatever, or the Stunticons. You know, and they all just, you know, like they just arrive like this is just a thing. But the comics, as usual, go further in depth and can do things that the animated series couldn't do. Yep. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that there are six Constructicons that combine to form Devastator and not five, um, making them an exception. But I need to ask you, Mike, what did you think about Superion? I like that they all had differing personalities. I mean, they weren't like fully fleshed out, but 
you know, there was definitely some issues with them. Like one of them just not caring about what they're doing. It's just like, why are we even doing this? Uh, mm. And I like that forming Superion was difficult. Like, because Superion was going to kill that guy. Yeah. And one of us is like, nope, nope, we can't do this. So they had to break apart. So that was not expected. I remember reading that as a kid going, he's he really going to kill that guy? But of course he didn't because it was a code approved book in the mid eighties. <laughs> they were going to have wholesale murder of humans. Transformers. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> but I like the aerial bots. Um, they are not my favorite combiners, but again, like I said at the beginning, they could fly and that was different for Autobots. So that kind of made them kind of cool. Pat, you were going to say, no, I just agreeing with Mike too. They, now the audio bots got some, you know, force in the air now. Yep. Besides Jetfire, who always seems to yeah. take to the air, then gets immediately shot down and then has to come back to Earth. <laughs> yeah, I like Jetfire. <laughs> I like him. I'm just saying that he, he has an arc, and his arc is usually to. He's a parabolic one. Math <laughs> 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 joke. John, <laughs> you think about the aerial bot slash superior. The aerial bots are my favorite combiners. There's just something about Superion's look that I like, and it might be the uh, planes on his arms. That I would, reminds I would... me of the Voltron, the, all mm, the vehicles yeah, when they're right. put together. The, the vehicle ones together are cool. I love that I, one too. The individual aerial bots themselves, I also liked. I had every one of these, so I had all their tech specs. This issue and next issue is the most time we're going to get with the aerial bots, and this is the one where they he takes any time at all to give them just a little bit of a moment. Mm-hmm. To make kids who have the toys happy that they get to see their guy do stuff. So I enjoy this quite a lot. I do like the aerial bots. And for whatever reason, I've always liked Silverbolt. I, I guess I just like the uh, personality that Bob gave him in that you know, he is the leader of the aerial Autobots. And he is afraid of flying. <laughs> I know. I mean, that is that's a heck of a, a thing to have to do. And because he is tasked with taking care of his team and taking care of the Autobots and protecting the humans from the air and everything, he kind of right. has to forget that or ignore that fear of flying to continue that. It was I don't know. I always thought it was interesting. I always thought his look was interesting, too. Something about his look. He just looked more mature yeah. than the other aerial bots too. So something about Andy. it I always like. Andy's a Concord and he's way bigger than the rest of them. It's cool. Yeah. And they always show him bigger too. He's just this huge jet and the rest of them are modeled after fighter jets. It looks like, well, gentlemen, do we have anything else that we would like to discuss about this issue? Uh, as cool as the aerial bots are, them forming Superion is some of the most muddled art of the issue. It's cramped in this one little panel, and then it's not even given like a half page flash to show what he looks like, uh, what Superion looks like. And and I feel bad complaining about it because this was how this book was set up artistically. So I'm complaining about what I wanted compared to what they gave us. But at the same time, I think Superion should have gotten a full page splash the first time he shows up. I think that there are uh, there was a lot going on in this book. The aerialbots themselves, as Mike said before, got kind of a oh look, the aerialbots are here. It's all right, send them. It's not that epic of a moment like you'd think you would expect. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, Superion is he's a really good looking bot. It would be cool mm-hmm. to see him on a full page 
panel like that. But maybe we're at that point with the Transformers where it's like, man, you know what? I got this book to get through. <laughs> I'm just going to try and you know draw as good of a lazy image as I can and keep going. I'm not sure. and, and, and to be fair, the people producing this book, they were doing a job. You know, they were they were given Transformers, which was just another assignment. It's not like they had any deep love for it. I mean, Bob Budiansky, you know, did a lot to develop the world. So he he was more kind of invested in the character work. But the artists are just I mean, you know, the, the joke over on fire and water is that it's boxes fighting boxes. Uh, and I'm sure some of the artists felt that way. It's just like, why? Do, how does one look different than the other? Uh, so, you know, unlike the animated series, which had a far more simplistic style, uh, and had the, the advantage of being, you know, in motion, uh, they just had to draw these static boxes. So uh, I kind of feel bad for Perlin (laughs) on that level is that this was his assignment for the month. And I think he made the most out of it. I mean, especially given, just like you said, there, it wasn't an opportunity for a bunch of huge Mm -hmm. splash pages, but Budiansky definitely likes his words too. And mm-hmm. there's stories mm-hmm. that he wants to put a few more words in it. And this seemed to be one of them. Pat, do you have any last burning comments to make? Nope. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, la- I'm laughing at that more because like Jared's going to hear that and he's going to get a nervous tick. Just hearing you say you didn't have any more comments. I love it. Keep that energy. John, do you have anything else that you want to add before I move on? Yeah, I think we're pretty good. This was a a fun one. Uh, I do want to add the battles in the book were pretty cool. The aerial battles, like it was involved. They did not rush any of that. And so between the good guys and the bad guys and then the Insecticons came in there, I love the battles in the book. It is time for us to talk about who had the touch, where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot, Decepticon, or human. It would be rude if I didn't start with our guest, so Mike. Please tell us who had the touch in your mind, in your opinion. Uh, in all honesty, it would have to be uh, the little girl. Oh, she she was the one that that kind of saved the day because she brought her daddy out of the um, out of the hypnotize. So you know the Hoover Dam did get destroyed. Uh, her dad's going to jail. Yeah, uh, but uh, but no, I, I I liked her. She was cute. Yep, um, going to jail, negligent, uh, damn aside, probably. Pat, um, what do you think? Uh, who had the touch? I was going to second the little girl, Maria. She had it. She had the touch, little girl. Mike, are you a father? Uh, not of humans. Understood. That's still, <laughs> I, I, will, I will still count that as a yes. I, mm-hmm. I know many dog dads, dog mothers, cat dads, cat mothers as well. So that certainly counts. John. Uh, I am a father of two girls. And so as such, I'm going to give it to the dad. He uh, managed to break free with the help of his uh, daughter and his family was able to break free a Cybertronian mind control device. I mean, and that's not nothing. So Ricky Vasquez, you take the touch. <laughs> you're going to need it in prison or wherever you're going. 
I, you know what? Uh, I'll, I'll stick with I'll stick with a human too. I'm gonna go with uh, Josie Beller. I'm gonna go with Circuit Breaker because she came on that splash page and she claimed seven Autobot scouts. Like, oh yeah, wow! Just, just went out there and was like, "Welcome to Earth." <laughs> and just brutal. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I will, I will give it to her. Uh, welcome back, Circuit Breaker. I think she has some more hell to raise in the books. But I am just a broken machine and I do things that don't really mean. And so if we talked about who had the touch, then somebody had to be out of touch. We talk about the character that was worse in the book. And they should have their heads mounted after not doing anything for like three issues in the segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. John, who is Less Than Meets the Eye to you? I'm going to go with Megatron. It was a very elaborate plan that would have had interesting results that was got uh, muddled up by a bunch of unnecessary steps and his brief inability to remember that he could, if he needed to, transform into a robot and blast Perion as it was necessary. As he did not, and he failed, and this is going to be the beginning of a series of bad days for Megatron. So, Megatron, you're less than meets the eye. I don't know. He's going to have a pretty good one in a few issues. Yeah. Yeah, let's not talk about that, though. Mike, uh, who was less than meets the eye? I was going to say Megatron, too, mainly because he he just kept counting on this human to do what he wanted to do and didn't at any point, like I said, push the human off the dam transform into a robot and just take care of it himself. You know, if only I had a cannon mounted to my arm. (laughs) (laughs) If only, you know, what what can you do, though, besides the job that he wanted done? Anyway, Pat, who was less than me CI to you? The security guard. (laughs) (laughs) He could have postponed a lot of this and I'll I'll no prize it as he's probably his name is probably like Dante. And he wasn't supposed to be there that day. It, it was a simpler time, Pat. You know, like, I mean, people just walked around with guns. He's got a gun on, too, though. You can see it on his. <laughs> I don't know. I really do have nothing for that. But I do like the clerk's <laughs> callback. Yeah, you know what? I will go with Megatron, too, for being less than meets the eye. But I am perfectly willing to use uh, the last panel on page 21 as proof that Megatron can fly and John can't say anything about it because I'm transitioning. <laughs> <laughs> now is the time for overall ratings for the book. If I'm going to recap for the audience real quick, we do that one to 10 thing that I described earlier. Just rewind it. I don't feel like repeating it. Mike, what would you rate this book on a scale of one to 10? I'm going to give it a nine. It's an exciting book. It's got some great moments and it has a great splash page on the end that makes you almost, it's like, I got to read the next issue, which I didn't at the time because it was newsstand distribution. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, no, I'll give it a solid nine. Lovely. John, what would you rate it? 10 for me. It's right up there with 17 and 18 for me. You know what I look back at just for a solid story. That's fun to read. I have as much fun reading it now as I did back then. And so it's a 10 for me. That is fantastic. And that is why we do this. Pat, what would you rate it? I'm going to give it an eight. I think there was some flaws in some of the other stories. Uh, the big con- 
reveal at the end was definitely like Mike said, I want to read the next one to see how she's going to, you know, who else is she going to put up there on for a trophy? Okay. And I'm at a nine myself. This was very good. Um, yep. It was an elaborate plan uh, by Megatron, but I love the action. I love that there's a lot of characterization. They threw a lot of robots in this book and like comparing contrast to say issue one, where there are like 30 something robots and reading the book took like an hour and a half. <laughs> right. <laughs> this did not take an hour and a half and it was a good book. And like, I mean, the storyline just blended with a great ending that has me looking very much so to the next issue. So I, I'm looking forward to it already. And uh, I give this book a nine. Now, we will talk Transformers Spotlight, where John discusses a particular Transformer that was featured in today's issue. Today we are talking about Superion. Uh, Superion stats were available if you bought the gift set, which included all five aerial bots. Uh, I never had Superion stats, so I had to get these from TFU.info. Superion's motto is, to live is to fight, to die is to stop. Fierce and frightening fighting machine suppresses thought of the five aerial bots that comprise him, directs his thinking to one purpose, destruction of Decepticons, cold, aloof, flies at 800 miles per hour at a range of 5,800 miles. Wow. Can demolish a battleship with one blow. That's a double wow. Uses electrostatic discharger rifle. Difficult for him to adapt to new situations or be innovative due to limited mental functions. You know, it's almost a shame that they had to do that whole bit with their lack of uh, programming because uh, Superion's behavior, you know, matches that complete thing. I, I would believe that the character would attack a human the first time it saw just by being this, but we have what we do. Anyway, his, his stats on the scale of 1 to 10. His strength is a 10. His intelligence is a 3. His speed is an 8. His endurance is a 10. His rank is a 5. His courage is 10. His firepower is 8. And his skill is a 7. I think he outranks Brawn. That's got to make Brawn feel bad. But wait a minute. This dude can take out a battleship with his gun and his firepower is only an 8? That's with his fist he can take out the battleship. Oh, now with his gun, oh, now Now is the gestalt form of the aerial bots, which is one of a group of what has become to be known as Scramble City Combiners. Uh, it's from the Japanese G1 cartoon episode Scramble City Mobilization, in which they're introduced along with the Stunticons, Combaticons, and Protector Bots. Now, all of the Scramble City Combiners were originally conceived by Diaclone for a line that would have been called Free Combination. Each team would consist of a large leader with four smaller robots, and the leader would form the base of the Gestalt form, and the smaller ones would form its arms and legs. And the other gimmick was that any of the limb robots from any of the toys could form up with any of the leaders. Uh, but by this point, the Transformers toy line itself had completely eclipsed the old Diaclone line, so Transformers toys began appearing in Japan, and so... Uh, the aerial bots did not have, were one of the first that did not have an older Diaclon version. And those became the Scramble City Transformers. Uh, Silverbolt formed the body of Superion, and the other aerial bots formed the arms and legs, which, as we said, could all go on as any limb, but typically Air Raid and Slingshot formed the right arm and leg, and Skydive and Firefly formed the left arm and leg. 
Now the aerial bots attached directly to Silverbolt using rectangular connectors, which are the smaller figures' heads, to form Superion's limbs. Like all USG-1 combiners, he requires a number of accessories to complete his combined robot form. Fists, foot pads, a head, a waist plate, and a chest piece. Uh, the fists and feet would attach by a standard 5 metal vader peg. And Superion, out of the combiners, is characterized by his long, spindly legs and the way the jet cockpits and wings protrude from the sides of his arms and backs of the legs. Uh, he is pretty popular, and he's using a lot of form of media. Uh, artists really seem to like his design, and will have him show up when they can. He's in the G1 cartoon of Fair, Fair Deal. He was prominently featured in the Dreamway comics and on the rod pod maggie and i are about to get to his origin uh, which will be on the next released um issue or episode which should be available early in 2021 he was also even in the first gi joe versus the transformers crossover where you do get to see him uh battle and beat devastator but thanks as always to tfu.info and transformerland.com for all of that Thanks for that, John. And now we will go to a promo break. The Transformers will return after these messages. Hey, everyone. Michael Bailey here with a brand spanking new trailer for From Crisis to Crisis. I'm here, too. I, I, I know you're here. I just wanted to make that clear. It, it, it's clear, Jeff. This Good. Time. Anyway... Ten years ago, we began our quest to cover just about every post-crisis on Infinite Earth Superman comic, going from Man of Steel number one in 1986 all the way to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2000s. Now it's 2020, and we're heading into the Superman books with cover date of 1996, which means we're about halfway through our mandate. Which was only supposed to take five years. Anyway, 1996 is going to be a huge year for the show, and we're going to have a lot of great stuff to talk about. Like Lois and Clark breaking their engagement. I'm not sure I would call that great, but yes, it does indeed happen. Then, the real return of Lex Luthor, an old flame of Clark's, reveals that she's not dead. Lois leaves Metropolis. Something bad happens to Perry White. Clark gets a promotion. And then there's Final Night. And we're going to end the year with a wedding and a honeymoon. Plus, we're still covering the Superman family books. So, so happy that we won't be dealing with Titans Outsiders. And we got a new Supergirl title, a new Justice League title, and even a Superboy team book involving a rave. Yeah, because, you know, raves and stuff. I'll be sure to bring my pacifier. From Crisis to Crisis is part of the Fortress of Bailey-Tude podcasting network located at www.forceofbailey2.com. Find all of the back episodes at that site, plus the other shows on the network. From Crisis to Crisis is also available through Apple Podcasts app, the Google Play Store, and you can stream us on Spotify. We now return to the Transformers. And that's the show. Just to let you guys know, oh, I did not forget about transmissions, but we haven't put out issue 20 yet, so we don't have any comments for issue 20. But as soon as we do, we will get back to them, we promise. Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue number 22, where the aerial bots return along with the Stunticons and Circuit Breaker. 
If you'd like to hear more from us, the Longbox Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Anchor, and most podcatchers to include Spotify at www.longboxcrusade.com. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Longbox Crusade. You can find us on Patreon, Longbox Crusade. And we have a YouTube channel. Please subscribe. We have a do it live stream once a month and some more content coming out soon. Uh, We do the do it live stream every second Sunday. You can also contact us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. I'd also like to give a special shout out to our Crusaders Club members. We appreciate your love and support. If you would like to join our Crusaders Club, we would love to have you. Membership starts at only $1 a month. We would also like to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Omaha Bound Entertainment, who does those hard binding for those special comic books in your collection, custom designing each cover. Every single hardcover they design is unique, as well as special trade collections of hard-to-find comics. All of this is available on their website, which is omahabound.com. Mike, it was a pleasure to have you, man. We appreciate you being on the show, and you are welcome to come back anytime. Please tell the listeners where you can be found on social media. Uh, Social media, I'm at Bailey's Podcasts on Twitter. Promote my stuff and talk about whatever's on my mind. I also am on Facebook where you can also find the pages for the various shows I do over at www.fortressofbailytude.com, home of the Fortress Bailytude podcasting network, which is the site that houses such shows as From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, The Overlooked Dark Knight, Views from the Long Box, and other shows involving Superman and Batman. Fantastic. Pat, why don't you tell us where you can be found on social media? Well, Delvin, I am glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. And John, your turn, sir. Yes, uh, well, check out the Rod Pod. That's where my wife Maggie and I cover the IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics in order, as, which is under our greater banner of Married with Comics, where we talk about everything else. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere that you found this lovely podcast. Or just tell your Amazon device to play Married with Comics podcast. I am also on Twitter at MWC underscore podcast. And Maggie can be found at Maggie and the Rain. I can be found on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. See y'all next time. And remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings. Till all are one. Till all are one. Till all are one. Spider-Man and Freezing full effect. Uh-huh. You ready, Ron? I'm ready. You ready, dude? I'm ready, Slick, are you? Oh, yeah. Take it down. Girl, I must warn you. I sense something strange in my mind. All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended, and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. It's also Relationships they seen from the start